Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right. Well, good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, it's good to see you. I want to welcome you to Cannon Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service this morning. We're glad uh, that you're with us. And two weeks ago, we began this really simple discussion that we're sort of in the middle of now uh, called One Another. And we're just taking some time here to talk about this new commandment, this new command that Jesus gave us uh, to love one another. And we started two weeks ago with just these two big foundational truths that we have to believe in order to move forward in this. And the first one is that we are loved. And the second one is that we can love, all right? Regardless of what you've heard or experienced in your life, you are loved by God and you are capable of loving others. That's a a biblical truth. And last week we went a little bit further and we began to lay the foundation about what love really is. And we found that God is the ultimate example of love, and we looked to that that definition in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, and it, it told us about love and what that looks like. And today we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to talk about how we can love like Jesus. All right, each week is going to get more and more practical. So today we're talking about how we can love like Jesus, or as I like to say, we're going to talk about how we can love Jesus style. All right, and last week we we talked about how much we like to complicate life. And if we want to live a more simple life, if we want to simplify things, we need to look for that in the right place. I don't think the simple life is found on the beach. I don't think it's found in having so much money that you don't have to worry about money anymore. I don't think it's found in being minimalistic and giving all your, your stuff away. I don't think it's found in any external circumstance of life. I think if we really want to simplify things, we have to go all the way back to our most fundamental purpose or commandment, and that's love God and love people, all right? We're here on earth for this this short season, and our primary responsibility during this short season of life on earth is to love God and love people. We talked about following Jesus and how as we follow Jesus, we become love. And one of the ways we do that is just by watching him, Right? We have great accounts in scripture of how Jesus loved people. We have story after story of how he interacted with people during his life on earth. And when we think of a loving Jesus, we sometimes say, well, that sounds pretty weak. And Jesus was by no means weak, right? He was strong. He was fierce. He was bold. But his life was about loving people, all right? And he loved people in ways that seem very uncomfortable to us. And he loved people that, we probably typically wouldn't associate with. And so today I want to take a look at one of those great examples in scripture. And in this particular story, we're going to see Jesus loving someone who was essentially rejected and forgotten by everyone else, but Jesus intentionally went and loved him. And I want us to draw some lessons out of this story. And then I want us to go love people in a similar way. If you want to love people the way Jesus did, I think there are a few components, a few elements that he introduced to us in this particular story. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to to Mark chapter five. We're gonna pick up there here in just a moment. 
But the point that I want to give you first before we jump into the story is this. If you want to love like Jesus, you have to look for someone to love, okay? And the key word in this point is someone, all right? And here's why. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is dealing with a man who is possessed by a demon, all right? And the demon causes him to do some wild and crazy things. Nobody wants anything to do with this man, so he's pretty much considered an outcast from society, and he's out of town living in the tombs all by himself, all right? Everyone avoided him, and over time, he comes to really prefer the darkness. He comes to really prefer the loneliness. And maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you know someone who prefers to be alone. Maybe you know someone who prefers to be on their own. And a lot of us tend to just give them what they want, right? We let them remain unloved. We let them grow comfortable in their status of being unloved. And we just go on with our lives and we try to maintain this convenient, simple, comfortable life. But Jesus didn't do that, all right? He sought out this man. And we're not reading the passage just yet because I want to lay this foundation. I want to give you this this background. In the story about Jesus and this demon-possessed man, it takes place in Mark chapter 5. And in the previous chapter, which is chapter 4, the Bible says that a very large crowd gathered around Jesus. All right, now that's pretty typical, right? This happened a lot during the life and the ministry of Jesus. Over and over again, large crowds would come from all over the region to gather and hear from him. And people would literally show up by the thousands to be with Jesus. And he fed them and he healed them and he taught them. And he spent time with these enormous crowds of people. All right? But at the end of Mark chapter four, Jesus tells his disciples, we have to get away from this crowd because there's something I need to do somewhere else, all right? And what I love so much about this story is that Jesus left a crowd of thousands of people to go to a tomb where one person lives. And I believe there's a lot of significance in that. If we ask today, what does a successful ministry look like? What does a successful evangelistic effort look like? And when we think ministry success, our minds often go to the crowds, right? We're looking at the churches that draw a lot of people. We're looking at mega churches. We're looking at movements that are packing stadiums with thousands of people. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Many people come to Christ in those movements and we praise God for that. But if you wanna love people Jesus style, it's not about loving the crowd, all right? If you want to love people the way Jesus did, it's not about loving the masses. It's ultimately about going after the one person who needs to be loved. And that is what Jesus did over and over and over again. And we need to look for those opportunities in our lives. Because the reality is when we pack up and we leave here today, when you walk out that front door or the side door, you're entering into the mission field. And if you ask for it, God will give you opportunities to serve people. If you ask for it, God will give you opportunities to love people. But you have to ask. You have to look for them because you're not always just going to stumble upon them, all right? So we have to cultivate a heart of sensitivity 
We need to pray, God, show me one person that I can love today. Show me one person that I can serve today. Give me an opportunity to do that. All right. As Christians in America, we often think that we have to fly across the globe to love people. This is something that you can do every single day in your ordinary life. And it's exactly what Jesus did over and over and over again. He left the crowds of people to go after the one person who desperately needed him. And he told his disciples, we're gonna leave this crowd in Jericho and we're gonna head towards Jerusalem because I have an appointment with a woman at a well who's all alone and she needs my ministry in her life. And that's exactly what Jesus did with this man. He left the crowd to pursue the one. So loving people, Jesus style, it's about looking for the one. Here's the second thing we need to do before we jump into the story. We need to lay prejudices aside. We have to lay our prejudices aside. I learned this week that that is a word, prejudices. I thought it was just prejudice, plural. There is an ES there. And this is where I want to pick up the story in Mark chapter five. And this is what it says. Jesus leaves the crowd and this is what happens. They come to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerizines, and as soon as he got out of the boat, as soon as he stepped out, all right, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. It says he lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. It says no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So Jesus leaves the crowd in pursuit of this one man. He wants to minister to him. He wants to help him. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what he was going to encounter when he stepped out of the boat. And he left this crowd of thousands of people and crossed the sea because there was someone who needed his help on the other side. And he steps out of the boat and he finds this man. Now, after reading this description, how many of you want to invite this man to your house for dinner tonight? Not many of us do, right? He's a little wild. He's sort of on edge. He breaks chains and shackles. Nobody wants anything to do with him. They couldn't even restrain him anymore. So they kicked him out of town and now he's living in the tombs all by himself. He wasn't easy to love, all right? And chances are a majority of people who need the love of Jesus probably aren't going to be very easy to love. But it's easy for us to love the people who are easy to love, right? It's easy for us to love the people that love us right back. It's easy for us to love the people that love us first. Those are our favorites. It's easy for us to love the people who do something for us. So we tend to stay within that easy, safe, comfortable boundary, okay? But there are people all around us who need the love of Jesus, and some of them are just like this man the Bible describes in Mark chapter five, all right? They're dealing with the weight of spiritual darkness. They're blind to the gospel. They've got something very dark happening in their life, and they might not necessarily be demon-possessed, okay? But they're dealing with something difficult, and what they need is to be loved back to Jesus. But in order to do this, we have to be willing to lay our prejudices aside, all right, because I think our prejudices are our biggest 
barrier to loving people. We have a huge problem with stigmatizing people. By nature, we're afraid of people who are different than we are. We struggle with this big time. We struggle with people who are different than we are. We struggle with people who come from a different ethnic background. We struggle with people who speak a different language than we do. We struggle with people who are different. And it's causing an epidemic of fear in our country. I would even go as far as this. I don't think the opposite of love is hate. I think for the sake of today, the opposite of love is fear. And for most of us, we're not really willing to love people because we're afraid of our differences. So we have to deal with this. We have to lay this aside. And I think about this a lot because this is something that we deal with constantly within the church. And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about the church, all right? As the church, we struggle with this probably in a more heightened sense than the rest of the world around us because there are a lot of stigmas that we deal with within the church, right? There's a stigma about mental health and mental illness. People who struggle with mental illness don't always feel welcome in the church because the church is afraid of their mental illness, right? And when we're afraid of someone, we're certainly not gonna love them. People who struggle with addiction don't always feel welcome in the church because the church is afraid of their addiction. And when we're afraid of something, we're not gonna love the person. When in reality, the church ought to be the safest place for people who are battling mental illness or addiction, but it's not because we haven't loved. We're afraid of people. We're afraid of what their problems will do to our safe little fellowship, right? And we allow fear to keep us from loving people, all right? Here's the reality. You cannot love people Jesus style and hold on to your prejudices at the same time. It's impossible. It's impossible to be afraid of someone because they're different than you and love them anyway. And those aren't the only stigmas we're dealing with in the church. We're dealing with more today than we ever have before. We're afraid of people who sin differently than we do. We have stigmas around people who struggle with particular sins and we say, well, I don't really wanna get involved in the complications of someone who struggles with something like that. So I'm just gonna stay over here and hang out with all the people who have the same little problems that I have, right? I'd love to help someone with a manageable problem, right? Bring them to me. I will love them all day long. But Jesus seemed to ask himself, where are the most difficult cases? And he said, I wanna spend time with those people. Can you find me a demon-possessed man who is breaking chains and living in the tombs by himself? Jesus says, I wanna minister to him. And we don't invite those kind of opportunities into our lives because of fear, because of prejudices, because of our preconceived ideas about people. And because of that, we're not loving like Jesus. All right? We have to be willing to lay that aside and we have to get close to people who are, differently, uh, who are different than we are. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. All right? This might be a newsflash to you, but you can love someone without agreeing with them. You can you can love someone and disagree on some things. But what I see the church doing is hating people who have a different point of view. And to me, that's the opposite of Christ-like. You can't claim to love like Jesus and remain afraid of people who are different. We have to lay all of that aside and seek out opportunities to love people who may be different than we are, amen? And in this particular 
demon-possessed man's case, no one wants anything to do with him. So he's out living in the tombs by himself. He's an outcast. He's rejected. No one's taking care of him anymore. No one's checking up on him. No one's ministering to him. Now, he's probably isolated himself to some degree, but we can't just happily oblige people who want to isolate themselves, right? We can't just give them what they want. We can't just say, yes, please go be alone. It'll be so much easier for me if you do that. We can't do that. But we have a tendency to let people who desperately need the love of Jesus walk out of our lives, Here's the third big thing we're gonna learn from Jesus in this story. If we wanna love people Jesus style, we have to embrace the mess. We have to embrace the mess. Look at verse six. When he saw Jesus from a distance, what did he do? He ran and knelt down before him and he cried out with a loud voice. He said, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He says, I beg you before God, don't, torment me. Now, let me take a second to clarify something right here. Loving people Jesus style doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go to the most dangerous part of town at three in the morning and find the darkest alley and look for someone to love, all right? I'm not telling you to do this without a sense of caution, right? We don't want to lose our lives because we still have to love people tomorrow. But when people approach us, we don't want to just turn them away. But that's what we do especially if they show signs of spiritual darkness, especially if they show signs of of mental illness or addiction. We have a tendency to just turn our backs and stay safe, but Jesus embraced the mess, all right? He stepped out of the boat and met this guy. In verse eight, it says, Jesus had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he says, what is your name? All right, now let's think about this for a second. Jesus knew his name right? He is all-knowing. I think Jesus was trying to make a point. He was trying to point out that the name of the one who has taken over this man's life doesn't belong there, all right? So he answers, my name is Legion because we are many. And he begs Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the region. Says a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside and the demons begged Jesus, send us to the pigs, so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there, all right? What in the world, right? About five years ago, I preached a sermon with this passage and someone came up to me after and this is what they got from it. They said, can demons possess animals? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) This is the only story in the entire Bible where Jesus cast a demon into an animal. So we don't build our doctrine around this story, right? But here's what I do know. Jesus did what was necessary in the moment to rescue this man. He embraced the mess. And that's the point of the story to me. This guy comes out and he starts screaming and he's violent and he's uncontrollable. And instead of turning around and getting back in the boat and the disciples start frantically, you know, what is this called? Rowing the boat back to the other side. Instead of running away, what does Jesus do? 
he gets involved, right? And when he asks the demon, what is your name? I think he's saying, you're not the identity that should define this person. There's something else here that isn't what God intended. So he says, what is your name? And the demon replies, my name is Legion. Well, Legion, you have to get out of here because God sees a person beneath Legion. God sees a soul that needs to be delivered and healed. So Jesus says, I want you gone because I need to do some restorative work in this man's life. Legion wasn't the man's identity, but we often identify people according to their struggles. We often identify people according to their sins. We often identify people according to their addictions. We identify them according to their problems, according to their weaknesses, according to their past, according to the mistakes that they make. And Jesus shows up and he strips away the demonic identity and he restores this man back to who he was intended to be. Jesus gets involved in a very messy situation. We need to embrace the mess. We can't abandon people when they're walking through the most difficult circumstances of their lives, all right? We need to embrace the mess and get involved. And it's gonna happen. If you decide today, I wanna love people Jesus style, you're gonna find yourself in some messy situations, all right? Hear it from me, ministry is messy. It's as simple as that. And when I say ministry, I'm not talking about being a pastor, all right? Because in the New Testament, the word minister is applied to every follower of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a minister. You can park in the clergy spot at Baylor Scott and White. And when someone tells you to move your car, you can say, my pastor told me that I can park here, all right? (laughs) So ministry isn't something that happens from a stage. It's not something that happens on Sundays. Ministry is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, loving people and serving people. And every follower of Jesus is called to ministry. All right, so we have a choice to make. Am I gonna love people Jesus style and embrace the mess of their lives? Or am I gonna stay over here and and remain clean, right? Jesus embraced the mess. And here's the final big thing we're gonna learn from Jesus here. If we wanna love people Jesus style, we need to leave an impression of God's love, all right? Let's finish the story. Verse 14, the men who tended the pigs ran off. They just got day off of work, right? All the pigs are in the, in the sea. And they go into town, they start telling everybody what had happened. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone showing up at your place of work and saying, all the pigs just ran off the hill and, and drowned. In the... So people start coming out to see what happened, right? They got to see this for their own eyes. Jesus left a crowd so he could minister to the one. And when he did that, a crowd shows up. All right, isn't that funny? So they come to Jesus and they see the man who had been demon possessed. Now they know him. Look at this guy. He's sitting there, he's dressed and in his right mind. And the Bible says, they were afraid. Listen, they didn't think twice about him when he was possessed and contained in the tombs outside of town. But when a work of God takes place in his life and he's healed and he's changed, it scares people. Why does it scare people? It scares them because deep down they're wondering, hmm, is there anything that needs to change in my life? Because I'm pretty comfortable with where I am today. 
Verse 16, it says, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. And what did they do? They began to beg Jesus to leave their region. That is a wonderful reflection of human nature. When Jesus healed the person that they could compare themselves to and feel better about their own life, they were afraid and they said, hey, get out of here, buddy, because I don't wanna see what you're gonna do in my life. So they asked him to leave. And as he's getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Notice, the entire town wants Jesus to leave, but the one whose life was changed, he wants to go with Jesus, right? But Jesus didn't let him. He says, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. What we miss in this story and in so many others is that Jesus did something in this man's life that we would have never done. And here's what it is. He left him with an impression of God's love. He restored him to the man that God intended for him to be. He reset his identity. See, we have a hard time seeing past where people currently are in their lives. But Jesus over and over and over again left people with an impression that God had better things in store for them, right? Jesus saw people for something that they might not have been currently, He projected for them what their lives could be like. In other words, Jesus, as he loved people, left an impression of God's love with them. And we have a tendency to do the opposite. We have a tendency only to treat people as they are right here, right now. If they give us a hard time, we're gonna give them a hard time back. If they hurt us in some way, we're gonna hurt them back. If they distance themselves from us, we're gonna oblige and distance from them. We define people according to what we're currently observing in their life. And we say, well, they're just bitter. They're just resentful. They're just angry. They're unstable. We just go right down the list, making myself feel better about my own life. They're manipulative. They're filled with rage. They keep returning to their sin and we define them by who they currently are. But when Jesus interacted with people, he constantly reminded them of who they could be. He gave them a greater sense of identity that goes beyond their present problems. Let me give you an example. When Jesus met Peter, what was his name? Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, I'm gonna name you Peter, which means rock, all right? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of someone who is a rock, I think of someone who's pretty solid in their faith. I think of someone who's unchanging. I think of someone who's consistent. But Peter was the most inconsistent disciple of the group, right? He was constantly saying something and putting his foot in his mouth. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he comes to Peter and Peter says, you can't wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. 
And Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash your feet, you're not gonna have any part with me. And Peter goes to the extreme. He says, okay, then give me a bath, Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, Peter, let me just wash your feet, okay? Because <laughs> I'm getting ready to go and I'm gonna die and I have to do this. Peter says, yeah, well, when you die, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna defend you. I'm gonna die for you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, you might wanna hold on to those words <laughs> because what you're actually going to end up doing is denying me so you don't get in trouble. Peter was the opposite of consistent. He was the opposite of a rock. But when Jesus met Peter, he named him rock. When he met Peter, he named him consistent. He says, Peter, you're going to be like a rock. And that's what I'm gonna turn you into when you give your life over to me. And Jesus spent three years turning Peter into the guy who would lead the church in Jerusalem, reaching thousands and thousands of people with the message of the gospel. He spent three years turning Peter into the guy who would face his persecutors and say, I would rather please God than you. Peter became a rock. Why? Because Jesus saw him for more than the wishy-washy person he was when he first met him. All right. And he does the same for you. And he does the same for me. The plans that Jesus has for our life are better than the plans that we have. And that's true for the people around you as well. All right. If you want to love people Jesus style, you have to commit to leaving a profound impression of God's love on people's lives. And you might not get the opportunity to explain the entire gospel to them. You might not get the opportunity to lead them to placing their faith in Jesus, but at least you're planting a seed. You're laying the groundwork. We can't define people by who they are today. We can't define them by their behaviors. We can't define them by their shortcomings. We can't define them by their sins because underneath all of that is a soul that God loves, okay? Jesus didn't write people off. He knew their stories and he helped them write a new one. He said, this is, who I see. This is how I see you. This is who you really are. Jesus goes to the people the rest of society has forgotten about and he tells them who they really are. And that's what love does. Love communicates to people who they really are, not just who we see them to be, not just how they show themselves to be. Love sees beneath all of that mess. Love sees beneath all of the pain. Love sees beneath the surface of sin. If you want to love people Jesus style, you have to embrace the mess and leave people with an impression of God's love, all right? And we come to church on Sunday and we leave with a fire at our backs. I'm gonna be evangelistic this week. I'm gonna share the love of Jesus with people this week. But then we see their appearance, but then we see their habits. Then we see their, their sin. We see the clothing they wear. We see the color of their skin. We write them off. And we say these terrible things. Look at how they're dressed. They wouldn't want to hear the gospel. Look at their sin. They wouldn't be open to this. So I'll just go where it's safer. I'll just go where it's easy. 
But I can promise you that right here in central Texas, there are tens of thousands of people who just need to hear that God loves them. There are tens of thousands of people who just need to hear that he sees them as more than their present circumstances. He sees a soul that he loves. He sees a soul that Jesus died for underneath that rugged exterior. And he's ready to make amazing stories out of their lives. And you and I, we are called to be messengers who read them the introduction of their new story. If you want to simplify your life and live for God's purposes, make your life about those two things, loving God and loving people. Look for the one person that you can share God's love with. Lay your preconceived ideas aside. Embrace the mess and leave them with an impression of God's love. Introduce them to a new story. And pray and ask God to show you who it is that you can love. And when you ask him, he will show you. Let's love people Jesus style, all right? Pray with me this morning. Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much, God, for your perfect love for us. We thank you, Father, that when you see us, you see past the rugged exterior. We thank you that you see past the sin. We thank you that you see past the pain. We thank you that you see past the mistakes. And we thank you for the new story that you're writing in each and every one of our lives. Help us, Father, to introduce that new story to the broken people around us. God, we pray that you would use us to leave people with an impression of your love as we embrace the messiness in their lives. Use us to love people, Father, back to you. Help us to introduce them to that new story that you're writing with their lives. Father, we lay all of our prejudices, all of our preconceived ideas, all of our opinions aside, and we commit to loving people. God, help us to see people through your eyes. Point us to the people around us who need your love and give us opportunities to share it with them in practical ways. God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you Father, that his death and resurrection paid the debt that we could not repay, even though we didn't deserve it. God, we thank you that you loved us anyway. Help us, Father, to love you and to love the people around us. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, maybe you're here in this place this morning, maybe you're watching online and you've never made the decision to allow God to begin rewriting your story. Maybe you're stuck like the man in, in the story that we read today, and you desperately need God to do a powerful work in your life. We find such good news in the gospel of Jesus. And I like to sum it up like this. Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live. Because we're sinful, we fall short, we're broken, we're imperfect, but Jesus, he lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die because the wages of our sin is death. And we were destined to pay that debt, but Jesus stepped in and he took our place on the cross paying the penalty for our sin. And then he rose from the dead to give us new life. And when you call on his name, he'll save you. He'll restore you. He'll write a new story with your life, both now and one day in eternal, never-ending life in his presence. That's the gospel. And if that's you today and you need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus, I just wanna encourage you to pray this simple prayer with me, church. Let's make this our prayer together this morning. Heavenly Father, 
I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.